In the TIPBS podcast, you get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to the TIPBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. Welcome to the TIPBS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. In this episode, we interview educator and occupational therapist, Leah Kuypers. Leah Kuypers earned a Bachelor of Science degree in occupational therapy from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, a graduate certificate in autism, and a Master of Arts in Education from Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She has practiced as an OT and specialist in school and clinical settings, specialising in self-regulation and social learning, and has worked with students of all ages and challenges, including anxiety, ADHD and ASD. Leah created The Zones of Regulation, a concept designed to teach self-regulation, and is the author of the book and app by the same name. In addition to working with students, she provides training and consultation to parents and professionals and offers workshops on the program. Leah is interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy. I hope you find this interview interesting and useful. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, so, Leah, I thought perhaps we could start by uh, maybe sharing a little bit about yourself and um, perhaps what got you interested in the area of self-regulation and emotional control with children. Well, uh, I was an occupational therapist, or I am, and working in the schools was where I was really seeing this need to uh, support kids in self-regulation. There was so many kids that were on my caseload that I was working with to support their sensory regulation needs. And I was finding I would uh, show up to a classroom and the teacher would literally push a kid out the door to me saying, he needs to calm down. And I would bring him to my sensory motor room, get him to this just right level of arousal. And uh, as I brought him back to class, the teacher may say, oh, you know, we're five minutes into math, uh, you know, catch up to problem six. And now the kid is exploding mm. because he missed the first five minutes of math. Mm. And the teacher's looking at me. Now what are you going to do? I'm looking at the teacher like, ah, I'm not sure. <laughs> and I just saw a lot of us looking at each other, unsure what to do. And what often resulted was a very punitive approach then mm. to that student where um, if he couldn't quickly comply with the demand, he was being uh, escorted out or exploding or whatnot. And um, then there was punishment and consequences. And there wasn't any teaching uh, in how to help the student have a more adaptive pro-social uh, response to that stressor. So I was taking graduate work and I... Um, after I, my bachelor's was in occupational therapy and I was getting my master's in education and a 
graduate autism certificate. And so it was through the coursework and applying it to my caseload that I started thinking about how could we do this differently and how can we go um, look beyond teaching a kid a lesson to truly teaching them a mm. lesson in self-regulation. Mm, yeah. So how do, how do you explain self-regulation to teachers? I, I'm sure there are, you know, you've got a whole program there that you do this with, but are there some metaphors and analogies that you find really cuts through to explain what it is? Uh, well, it's really, you know, a complex skill that mm -hmm. covers uh, an umbrella skill that you think about self-discipline and self-control um, anger management, emotional control, all falling under. Um, but we have to regulate our level of arousal, and we also call this our level of alertness. And so this is, uh, for example, some of us wake up um, to that alarm and we hit snooze immediately. And this mm -hmm. is a very low level of arousal. Some of us are startled by the alarm, and that's a mm -hmm. heightened level of arousal. Mm -hmm. And some of us are laying in bed already thinking about our day planning ahead. And that's this more grounded, organized level of arousal. Mm -hmm. And so we need to adjust this as well as how we're revealing our emotions mm. in a way that's adaptive to the social context that we're in, in relation to the goals or the tasks that we're trying to achieve, the environment. Um, mm. And so for many kids, those goals, those tasks are just getting through the work, mm. uh, moving on in their schedule, having fun playing the game, uh, pleasing their parents, their teachers, having friends to eat lunch with and play with. So. Mm. Uh, we make all these adjustments to how we're expressing those emotions that are innate inside of us and managing that level of arousal in order to move more smoothly through our day. Mm. And that's so critical with learning, isn't it, to be able to do that. And it almost seems foundational to be able to do that, to be able to do any higher level cognitive kind of learning. Right. It is, it's such a foundational skill and you're not going to be in the place for learning and taking on that challenge of academics, turning that information into knowledge if you're not in this um, calm, regulated, grounded state. And so I see more and more schools understanding the value of this and you know, wanting those high level achievement scores from their students but putting the work in and building the self-regulation skill set to give their students the success. And the research is really backing this up, too. It's been exciting mm -hmm. to see uh, the pendulum swinging and more um, research coming out showing the value of self-regulation, not just in academics, but mm -hmm. it's a lifelong skill that we're all addressing mm -hmm. and working at. And, mm -hmm. uh, oh, I was just curious to hear, I was thinking about uh, the story you were saying about, you know, those early days where you'd look at each other and because um, I think lots of people can relate to that. Did you have a story in mind that really was a bit of a turning point for you where you thought, oh, you know, these sort of sensory regulation strategies are actually effective and they make quite a difference? Was there a particular anecdotal story that stood out in your mind, Leah? Uh, yeah, I had one student who was a really tough, he was a kindergarten student. He came from 
uh, unfortunately, a really dysfunctional home where he had a parent incarcerated. He had um, being raised by a single mother who he had another brother with a disability. There, we know there was drugs in the home. Um, and he uh, had a uh, impaired IQ level too, mm. um, so that cognitive impairment. But working on really making this routine and helping him understand first his emotions as step one. And uh, at one point as we were working and using the zones of regulation framework with him mm. on his own will, he put his picture up into what we call the red zone when he's mm. in this very heightened state of arousal and emotions are kind of at their max. Mm. And he put himself into a timeout and that wasn't something we were teaching with the red zone, but for me, it was this aha moment where I saw a kid who, you know, could barely go through the ABCs and spell his name, but he had enough insight to recognize, okay, I'm really irate right now. Mm. And what typically happens is, I end up in timeout. Mm. And so he let us know he was in that, you know, mm. heightened state and he put himself in timeout. And mm. so we just wrote a different ending to this uh, routine that he was now picking up on. And mm. so to me, I saw that there is a there's this little bit of control that we have when we're, even when we're at this super heightened mm. state that we can help kids diverge from maybe their uh, typical expression of those really heightened states. Maybe it's running, fleeing out of a building or um, aggressing or destroying or, you know, whatever that disruptive behavior may be that's protective in nature for the child we can teach them a different alternative ending and recognizing I'm in that state, but I don't have to mm. diverge this way. I can have a calm, quiet place where there's nothing punitive associated mm. with it. And we can be learning strategies. And so by the end of the year, this kid would identify he was in the red zone and participate in yoga independently wow. just at his spot. And this was a kid who had been going into a timeout which um, was out of the classroom and involved, you know, behavior reports and sometimes led to a locked seclusion situation. He was going there multiple times a day to going there maybe once a week and yeah. if that even and doing yoga. So yeah. it was, that was a pivotal place where I thought, okay, this has something. Um, that's an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I, want, so I think that segues quite nicely to the programs it's, program itself, the zones of regulation. Um, did you just want to um, perhaps introduce us to the program itself and what it looks like, Leah? Sure. So the zones is a framework for thinking. Uh, you know, it comes packaged up in a curriculum, and um, this is the book it is. here. Yeah. Um, but what we're teaching with this is a systematic approach to classifying all the different feelings and these states, these levels of arousal, our energy. Um, so essentially what we're feeling on the inside, 
we're giving uh, assigning a zone um, to it. So there's four zones, and this is helping make the some more abstract uh, emotional world we live in more concrete and looking at it from a systematic approach. So once we're able to categorize and recognize what zone we're in, then we can identify tools that support regulating that zone. So there's four zones. Red is that very heightened level of arousal, those really intense, overwhelming emotions. Uh, yellow is elevated emotions. They've intensified, but I still see that cognitive control um, to a greater degree in that yellow zone. Uh, so it might be worried. It could be silly. It can be wiggly or irritated, overwhelmed. Uh, and so positive and less comfortable emotions fall in the yellow as well as the red because sometimes we're elated in the red zone. We're, um, you know, going, if, uh, you know, our sports team won the state championship, that's uh, this big exuberant uh, emotional experience we may be experiencing. So the, I would put that in the red zone. Uh, and then the green zone is when we're in a more controlled, organized state. So we might be happy, calm, um, focused. Uh, and then the blue zone is these lower levels of arousal, uh, these down feelings, sad, sick, tired, bored. Mm. And so with this systematic approach, it gives a very visual structure to this as well as it helps ease communication. Um, so when we're learning, in learning mode, we talk about our feeling and what zone it falls in. But then when we do get in those less regulated states, we could just simply point mm. to the zone we're in. We could use just the color to identify it. And then there's allowing that co-regulation between a caregiver, a teacher, a parent, um, and the student to support them in finding the tools that can be helpful in regulating that zone. Mm. And what seems to be nice about that is that it's a useful tool all the way from someone who has no difficulties at all to all the way to, you know, someone with really challenging kind of behaviors that it's sort of across the spectrum of kids, isn't it? Yeah. It's, we all, as I said before, work on regulation and there's mm. not an adult out there. I don't, think um who doesn't have some sort of reflection mm. after they've been dysregulated before thinking well that didn't work out so well for me i need to work on this or that mm. we don't there's um you know not this magic threshold of we all stay 100 percent regulated five out of five trials across or environments with no prompts um, mm -hmm. because the reality is is we get stressed and overwhelmed as adults we get angered um, we get worried and we don't always manage those emotions uh, as well as we want to so it's a life skill and this is something that certainly I you know initially designed for my kids who had special needs who had neurobiological impairments but the, um, I think the reach is far beyond those because, like you said, all kids are learning this mm. and all adults are still using this. So I find a lot of adults who are familiar with the framework, they talk 
in the colors of the zones to their colleagues and they'll say, you know, I'm in the yellow right now. Um, or, oh, I was getting close to the red zone and, uh, and it's just this simple language. It's um, a way to co-regulate with each other. Mm, no, that's great. Um, so what would be um, some of the key strategies, Leah, do you think, from the program? Well, the program works a lot at helping students build awareness in a very just user-friendly way. There's the four colors, and I find a lot of kids just really uh, – it makes it simple for them and easier to grasp. Um, and I find with teachers, therapists, parents, it feels approachable for them oh. as well. So mm -hmm. I find that that um, the colors and the language around it um, makes it tangible for people to be implementing and using and kind of adopting oh. in their cognitive thinking. Uh, and <clears throat> so the whole uh, the first chapter where the lessons are found there's three chapters of that comprise of 18 lessons total um, it's working a lot at just gaining that awareness of how am I feeling on the inside because we're not going to be able to use a tool to regulate ourselves if we don't first have that awareness mm. that we're in a less regulated spot so mm. there's a lot going into building that awareness of mm. self uh, and being able to recognize triggers that dysregulate me or move me into a different zone um, I think another positive of this though is that this is intended to be used with no judgment mm. and so there's no shaming there's no mm. Um, penalties associated with one zone or another it's not this behavioral approach where you get points if you stay in this zone or lose points in that mm -hmm. zone it's really meant to be used uh, to help kids understand that all these emotions are you know human nature and that we're going to experience these different emotions therefore we experience all these different zones mm -hmm. and it's just our job to work on recognizing what zone or feelings we have and do I need to manage it when mm. I'm given the situation I'm in the context that is playing out around me mm. yeah it, it, it's a simple framework but really powerful in that social emotional learning isn't it that sort of self-awareness for the kids but also for the professionals and the teachers as well from the sounds of it um, what is your experience of the sort of major barriers for um, teachers or educators or schools adopting frameworks like this, Leah? What's been your experience? Uh, you know, I find often for teachers, they have so much on their plate yeah. and they have so much pressure to have those high performing test scores um, from their students that it can feel like, oh gosh, this is one more thing now that mm -hmm. I got to be doing. Uh, and I really think that this is something that it can be, uh, you set aside a little time up front to teach the zones, but then it's something that it can be just embedded into mm -hmm. the conversations in the classroom, that dialogue you can overlay this into your academic mm. uh, 
instructions, say you're doing written expression, you could take a topic on the zones and have them do written expression around that. Uh, there is, you know, read aloud and you can talk about the characters and what zone they may fall in and what tools would help them. Uh, but with this then, I find you have this visual structure now in your classroom and you have, I find for a lot of teachers who are um, you know, stressed about, they have this classroom management as mm. their you know, job, but a lot of teachers tell me, you know, we don't get a lot of instruction on how do we do classroom management. Mm. And what the zones has offered to them is a way to build student self-management and move that burden away from that teacher's shoulders and help the students build responsibility in their self-management in a way that is, um, again, not feeling punitive and shame-based, mm. but uh, it does take, you know, some time up front to put the, uh, the less, you know, the framework in place in the classroom and putting some visuals up. But once you have that, there is, you know, and I find another thing is allowing routine time to practice tools. Mm. But if you just carve five minutes out of your daily schedule, maybe as kids transition in from recess, that it happens then. And then on the back end, you're not hopefully going to be spending so much time managing student conflicts, um, prompting kids to be paying attention and they can be using the zones framework uh, to support kids in doing more of that self-regulation versus that teacher-imposed mm. um, uh, regulation. So. so many good points there. Yeah, I, I was talking to a teacher recently who uses the framework in her classroom, and um, one of the things she was telling me about was how it felt like um, she had a framework now of uh, when to use strategies rather than just picking up a whole heap of things and kind of trying different things out to see what sticks, that it feels like she had a bit of a structure. Is that the sort of feedback you often get about the program, Leah? Yeah, I, I think teachers find it really approachable and mm. uh, that it's um, it also lends itself to be used in conjunction mm. with what the teacher is comfortable with. If yeah. they've been using another framework, a curriculum, some strategies, some calming techniques, none of that is replaced with the zones. The mm -hmm. zones framework can be overlaid um, and embedded into that language. Um, those visuals often I find work in conjunction with what they may already be comfortable with. Uh, mm. And now we're just enhancing it uh, with that zones piece too. But uh, I don't find it's an either or, or, you know, we're just doing the zones, um, that it works really well uh, when woven with what the teacher's comfort mm. is and um, where, what the student's familiarity is with that it can just be used with that, not to replace that. So, yeah. so um, I wanted to ask, get your thoughts about a, a common dilemma that you probably have encountered as well, where teachers feel really stuck with 
um, treating certain students unfairly. You know, the, the kids who've got difficulties coming and that they get all these, it feels like they get all these extra supports and, you know, allowed time away and things like that. And, and some teachers find that hard to manage in terms of keeping things fair with the other kids. How does that work in the program? What were your thoughts about that? Well, what the program really tries to support kids doing is finding, you know, what is their tools that are individualized to them? What are they empowered to use to Mm. regulate? Mm. Um, And so there is within the framework a huge opportunity for individualization by the student because what we want them, the students to be is empowered to use those tools. I was finding myself saying, you know, you need to go take a break. You need to calm down because that's what I saw as what that student needed. Mm. But that only worked about half the time because the kid's like, you know, I, I don't feel that I need that. Um, Mm. So instead I really want the kids to build that awareness of what they need and what works for them. Uh, And so with that said, yes, some kids' tools may be a little more, um, uh, you know, I guess. um, Left to stand up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. they, They might need more support. They might need more time with their tool. They might need more equipment. Yeah. Um, But what I also find is that the tools that we initially find that work with the students, we can still be stretching those students to be working towards finding more adaptive Mm. uh, tools that are less disruptive to the classroom. So if we say, you know, taking a break and a a calming corner uh, is a tool, well, this is a whole lot less disruptive than, you know, lashing out on another student or um, destroying uh, property in a school environment. Mm. So it's a step in the right direction, but Mm. we also want kids, you know, in their desk learning. And so that we might be able to inch that kid uh, over time to uh, get to the place where now down the road, he can just put his head down in that situation to regulate that zone. But to go from that jump of, well, I'm ripping up a classroom to putting my head down, it's too big of a leap. So mm. we've got to work towards that. Um, so I think that is encouraging for some teachers to see, like, well, when we, like, weigh our options here, mm. taking a break in a calming space is a much better option than this. Um, but we want to support them uh, in finding other strategies and helping them be more adaptive, more subtle in, mm-hmm. as they go along. Yeah. Um, did that answer your question? Yes, I yes it does. a little yeah. off topic. No, absolutely. I think um, Ken and I have been talking a lot about having inclusive classrooms, about giving kids what they need, and that's exactly what you're referen- referencing there, I think, is for them to have some thought about it for themselves, but for teachers to have that kind of individualized response to the kids as well. Um, Yeah. Um, Part of what we're teaching with the zones is uh, with that green zone, Mm. this is when we're in that calm regulated state. 
but we also have tools to support our green zone. Mm. So I see these as our proactive strategies, you know, mm. rather than waiting until we're just regulated in maybe the yellow or the red or the blue, what can we be doing to support that student in his or her green zone to keep them in a more regulated space? rather than wait till they're dysregulated and now they're missing out on academics because they're engaged in tools. Can we find some green zone tools to support them maybe in their chairs so that they can be engaged in the learning and supporting what they need to stay regulated? Um, mm -hmm. And so there's that proactive approach to this too. It's not all just um, reactive yeah and, and i think that piece you were talking about about pre-teaching and practicing things is 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 such an important part of that too isn't it that that they can do these things in the green zone and keep themselves there i know kai often says you know strike when the iron's cold <laughs> <laughs> right yeah for sure uh i think that was something i was working in the schools, we were all really reactive. Um, mm -hmm. We were, um, we, we would spend time thinking about, you know, what can we adapt? What can we modify to be proactive? Mm -hmm. But we weren't thinking about what can we teach the kid necessarily mm -hmm. so that he or she can also be proactive. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, as this kid ages up, you know, they're at the helm. and in the real world, we're not adapting and modifying, you know, for our neighbor next door to us or mm -hmm. um, the coworker uh, that sits next to us. You know, it's up to us as adults to be at the helm um, of self-management. And so I think that's really important that the, the student get, gain that skill set. Um, and it's not just us kind of in the background you know, trying to be the puppet master mm. and, you know, um, right. have everything just lined up just so, so that we can keep them in that regulated state. I think that's important. Don't get me wrong. For many kids, we, they need the adapting and the modifying, but that skill building is so important too. And that was a big goal of mine to address that student skill building. Yeah, no, that's great. So Leah, what were your thoughts about or tips that you might have about kind of collecting data or checking to see if, you know, interventions are being effective or not. Did you have any thoughts about that? Sure. Uh, I have some, uh, on my website, there's some documents that I've adapted that others have shared with me uh, that I've used as pre-post. Uh, there's a self-regulation uh, checklist that is sorry, did you just want to tell oh. us the website oh just sorry yeah. uh, zonesofregulation.com great thank you uh, just the title of the book.com and so that's just an informal assessment but uh, you can be having a parent fill that out pre-post uh, there's a student uh, self-assessment that they can be looking at but then in the book itself there is a lot of opportunities for the students to be compiling data uh, as they're self-monitoring themselves. Mm. You can be keeping that and looking at that over the course of time and seeing, does their day become more regulated? Um, 
have they increased their repertoire of tools? Are they using their tools with more frequency? And so there's a lot of um, that data keeping even embedded into the lessons themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Because what I find with self-regulation is it is a hard skill to measure. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've found research to say that there isn't even an all-encompassing self-regulation tool out there. Mm -hmm. uh, often we're measuring sub-skills of this, looking at executive functioning and sensory processing and modulation and social cognition. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can measure with the standardized tool deficits in those areas uh, and look at how they you know, retest over the course of time in that, but uh, it's hard uh, to, when you're observing self-regulation, uh, to necessarily see what that kid is thinking, what are they, what's going on inside. Uh, so I do find that it's really valuable to have the students self-monitoring and self-reporting when possible. Um, and I find they're often probably harder on themselves than I, uh, M. And so that, that honesty yeah, is okay. often there with many of our kids. So, um, so I think that's a piece of it. I think there's more uh, that that's something I'm continuing trying to figure out what to do better to, though. That's really interesting, Leah, and it probably fits in with the philosophy of the program that you measure the skills rather than just behavior data in terms of, you know, how problematic their behavior is, because essentially that's the focus of the program, isn't it, around skill building, and um, but clearly that's quite a complex thing to measure, I think. Um, uh, I, I was curious, you just briefly mentioned there about giving measures to parents. Have you had any experience of sharing this, you know, from a school context and involving parents in that process at all, or is that... Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think it's important that kids don't go home just talking about colors uh, <laughs> and parents have no insight on, you know, what do you mean you're in the red? Uh, so I find it's really important. I make it as easy as I can in the book. There's reproducibles that you can print off. Uh, there's a page explaining what it is. There's a one page visual that can be sent home for parents to have, you know, on the refrigerator. Uh, there's a glossary that can be sent home. Uh, but I really encourage people to have a parent training night where they mm -hmm. welcome parents in um, and give some information on this. Uh, I've developed two apps on this. Uh, the one's called the Zones of Regulation and the other's called Exploring Emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's a real affordable way to have parents uh, get more information on this if they're uh, walking with their student through the app. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to learn what the framework is too. And I find these are a nice, the apps are a nice way to bridge mm -hmm. that divide between school and home and help parents feel like their um, understanding what it is the school's addressing. So that's a resource. Uh, and um, then as kids are working through the curriculum too, just making sure we're sending home uh, the work that they're putting together so that it can continue to be compiled and extended at home. 
Mm. I think visual supports are really important though in the home too. So yeah, yeah. Um, and lastly, I was just curious. I, I, I found sometimes with these sort of things that. Um, you know, you put things in place and often there are one or two children who take just that little bit longer to get on to the system or, you know, grasp it or come on board with things uh, or perhaps a little more explosive than other kids. What would be your sort of general advice to teachers who have students like that where they don't see that success right away? What would be some of your thoughts? Uh, I would say this is unique to each student. It's mm -hmm. It allows for individualization and mm. kids' progress need to be measured against themselves and mm. not against their peers. Mm. Self-regulation is a developmental skill, mm. just like learning to walk and learning to talk. Yeah, so fun. we need to be mindful that our students, you know, there's 18 lessons and say we do those lessons over, you know, 26 weeks or something. In 26 weeks, that's just a snapshot of their life. And many of our kids are not going to developmentally make that jump from, you know, they may be 10, 15 years old, but developmentally their self-regulation skills may be that of a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to make that leap mm -hmm. in, you know, half a year's time. Mm -hmm. Just And so I think rather than have that mindset that you know each week we're doing a new lesson or something like that that we really are just looking at that student and saying where are they at do they need more time with us are they demonstrating that knowledge because a lot of our kids can spout that knowledge mm -hmm. and they can talk about um you know the zones upside down and backwards but really the zones is only our method to teach mm -hmm. self-regulation and if they're not demonstrating those skills that we're trying to teach with this to layer another one on, mm. I find we often are moving too fast and that student may become resistant. So mm. really uh, I encourage people to slow down and pace the instruction based on where the student's skills are, mm. what are they absorbing and starting to demonstrate what do we see emerging and that can be giving us the clues of okay I think they're ready to you know add some more to this and um, extend it another step uh, so it's not um, you know I think it's it's really important to say that this takes time this there is a lot of effort and teaching needing to be placed up front mm. when the students are calm and regulated in order to have those payoffs mm. down the road for when they become dysregulated that now they're going to have some of that self-management. Mm. But that takes a front end um, uh, approach. And so I really caution people to think that you know, you introduce this and you're going to see the payouts immediately. Yeah. It really takes time and practice and repetition and a lot of student um, students need that um, more intense support to in mm. um, a slow and steady kind of yeah. approach. Um, and unfortunately, it's sort of flies in the face of the, the general trend around standardizing everything, isn't it, where we expect similar sort of outcomes across the board when in fact it's absolutely true what you're saying. It's about meeting a child at their developmental level and um, helping them over time with that. 
Thank you so much, Leah. I, I was just wondering, uh, with all your work, uh, is there things that you're still curious about in your work that you'd like to learn more about? Or? Oh, always. Um, yeah. My head is constantly spinning. Um, excited about new things I read and ideas that come to the head. I'm working on a couple projects right now. Um, we're going to be releasing a game, uh, a board game, and so I think that'll be helping take this uh, framework and allowing kids to engage in it in a really friendly way, a uh, playful way. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, and yeah, I, my head goes a million directions. I, um, I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, the whole school implementation is a big, uh, topic a lot of schools are putting this in place school-wide so I would love to try to uh, work on more uh, tools to help make that you know more accessible for districts uh, the reality is though it takes time and wow. I'm a mom um, I got young kids myself and uh, I got my hands in a lot of things so I'm, I'm trying to keep myself grounded as well and take it one step at a time so that's great. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak yeah. to us. Um, was there any um, final kind of information you wanted to share or any resources or websites that you wanted to direct people to? Sure. You can um, find a lot at my website, www.zonesofregulation.com. Uh, and that will link you uh, to my publisher's website, to socialthinking.com where um, the Zones book and posters are available for purchase. Um, the apps can be found on your app store. Uh, so um, in Android, uh, Google Play, Amazon, whatnot. So there's that. And um, yeah, I think uh, I just really thank you for this opportunity and um, really hope that uh, whether it's the zones or uh, any other approach out there, I just really am excited that there's more conversations being had like this to support students in uh, self-regulation and support teachers, parents, um, professionals in raising awareness of what um, what might be underlying this you know challenging behavior that we're faced with and um, bringing about some understanding to these students and um, skills to help address it. So That's great. Thank you so much, Leah. I hope we get another chance to speak with you again. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and have a, you know, a lovely uh, evening, yeah. uh, I guess, <laughs> over there. So take Sounds care. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was our interview with Lee Kuypers. Thank you to Lee for sharing insights from a practical and highly effective program, The Zones of Regulation. To access the resources and websites discussed in the interview, check out the show notes by visiting our website at www.tipbs.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.